Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. In three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step on up to shine in delight. Uh, Andrew Tilton here with uh, some super guests today um, and my co-host, Ro. Are you here, Ro? Uh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> ah, he's here. All right. And then our guest of the day is actually my lovely bride, Babani Templeton. Hey, guys. It's her, what, second time on the podcast? The second time. First time with me. Yep, we, first time with you. <laughs> we shall see how it goes. Bonnie, what's an interesting fact about you the audience should know? Okay, um, I really thought hard about this one. And recently I've been reading the Harry Potter books for the first time in my life. Um, and then watching the movies. Um, it's quite, you know, it's great to vision your own and then somebody ruin it for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it's still really fun. It's fun to just to read them and then... Um, watch the movie and see what somebody else kind of envisioned. So that's an interesting, interesting fact about you, or is that something you've been learning? That's something I've been learning. Interesting oh. fact about me: I'm four ten. Oh, hey, four foot ten! Wow, I can <laughs> snuggle her very well. All right, Ro, what's our icebreaker of the day? Uh, take thirty to sixty seconds to talk about something that you've been learning about that you think is interesting. Man, mm. Bonnie already told her what in the world is ridiculous. I have so many though. Oh, okay, cool. Um, myself personally, something not related to CrossFit or the Bible, was looking <laughs> about um, something dichotomy in the people how we separate the body from the soul in that okay. sense, especially in the American society in the world right now. That's why you're able to do. It's like, hey, the sex is just the body. Don't worry about do whatever you want with the body. Your soul separate. There's gonna be no effects on your soul or your your body or your mind. In that sense right oh have an abortion it's just a body kind of a deal it's not gonna affect your soul at all right and just seeing that how that's been the predominant viewpoint of society and how that is completely false and so going most of the stuff we are looking at in society and the progressive change has a separation of those two um, and because of that like it's not true and so there's a lot of anxiety and depression going on to society right now and a lot of it's because we're trying to live a life that's saying hey these two are separate when really they're interconnected um your mind what you do with your mind affects your body what you do with your body affects your mind slash soul so that's just something fun i've been learning that is very cool um for me it's actually it's kind of weird but it's still kind of cool um i've been learning a lot of like the body <laughs> for women itself and just really understanding that knowledge is power mm. um and really diving in and just seeing how not only can I help myself with my own body and whatever issues I may have, but as well as like the people around me um, and learning some stuff and then helping them and guiding them how they can help others. Nice. That is fun. Ro, what about yourself? I am writing about primary direct floor listings for my securities litigation class. It's a thriller. Primary <laughs> direct floor listings. It's Please gonna, explain it's what that gonna means. It's going to revolutionize the way companies go public. Oh, okay. So traditionally... When Facebook wants to go public or any company wants to go public, when you have Meta to, wants to go public. Whenever, whenever you want to go public, what you do is you sell your shares to an underwriter. So to, yep. you go to Goldman Sachs, you say, I want to go public. If Goldman Sachs agrees, then they buy your shares from you, and then Goldman Sachs sells them to the public, not the company. Gotcha. So the, there's a huge day on IPO day. Company receives none of that upside. Goldman Sachs does. Right. So that's how you do it traditionally. Yeah. A couple of years ago, the SEC said, okay. You don't have to go through an underwriter anymore. You can just have your own shareholders go to the public and sell these shares themselves. Oh, okay. And then in December, they took it a step further and said, now you don't even have to convince your shareholders to do it. The company itself can do it. 
So you can just list your shares directly on the New York Stock Exchange. That doesn't sound interesting, but that is going to revolutionize the way that finance is done. Is Goldman Sachs pissed? Yes, because that's like that's a huge revenue stream <laughs> for them. They do. It's that's like it. it's a risk-free profit because you when you underwrite something, you're not going to the sh- the price that you pay is below market value, or else yeah, you yeah. wouldn't do it. So you pay a below market value price if you're the underwriter, and then on IPO day, you you they buy uh, they buy from you at the market price. So it's an automatic profit. Yeah, yeah. So now you're taking that easy profit away from them and they are not oh, happy. That makes sense. Ah, oh, but they're upset about that. Well, no. good interesting facts, guys. <laughs> um, well, we got some fun information to talk about today. Still continuing about our identity series. Um, we're talking about failure today. Ooh, failure. What is your guys' uh, definition of failure? Hmm. Um, I think it's more of like you set a standard of what is successful in your head. So if successfulness means you wake up at a certain time then you successfully did that. But if you sleep in too late or you wake up too early, then you failed um, that certain mark. So not hitting the mark. Right. All right. Well, what's your definition? I would give the same answer. Just say not accomplishing a task that you set out for yourself. So mm-hmm. same answer, basically. Okay. Not Different words. Yeah. I would say that someone else gave you that you gave yourself one of the above, but just missing the mark, mm-hmm. so to speak, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, why is failure such a big thing or a hot topic in today's culture? Oh, because we're always compared to each other all the time. You only see people's highlight reel when you get on Instagram. So mm. your, your failures are magnified in your own mind when you're constantly seeing, you know, if your friends are going on vacations to Cabo and that's all you see on your social media feed every day. Dude, that's day. all I do every week is Cabo. Just go to Cabo? Cabo. Actually, I just take post photos of Cabo and myself there. It's yeah, actually it's really all great. these CrossFit things we make about That's a joke because you don't ever work out. You just go to Cabo every week. That's, exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You only come to Dallas to record the podcast. Every, when you, you every gotta Thursday I come home and then Friday record the podcast and Saturday I go back to Cabo. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just wanted to clear that up for the audience. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone else's successes are magnified and so... Your failures can be magnified in your own mind. At least that's what I think. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, and I mean, it's also just so easy to compare yourself and see what other people are being, quote-unquote, successful um, and comparing whatever, like, standard you're trying to hit, whatever. It's just comparing is a killer. Comparison is the killer of joy. That is for (laughs) sure. What is the – because, like, we're talking about identity here, and we've talked about the identity of success and climbing the corporate ladder – what does it really mean to identify with your failures or to kind of be like stuck in that? Uh, well, I can talk about this from the baseball space, which I know everyone loves to hear. Oh, when everyone, I talk, loves everyone loves my baseball I mean, analogies. We've got the World Series going on right now, so we got to talk about baseball. It's either that or the George Patton analogies. I know the, the, I know the <laughs> audience loves those. But, um, yeah, I mean, in baseball, you fail. If you fail seven out of ten times, you're a great player. If you fail seven out of ten times in the major leagues, then you're a Hall of Famer. Um, because, I mean, an average, a Hall of Fame batting average is about 300, depending on what type of hitter you are. So that means you fail. Seven out of ten times, you are not doing what you went to the plate to do, which is to get a, get a hit. Wow. Um, and so you, you fail your way to the top in that business, and that's just kind of how I grew up. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm less affected by failure just because I, you know, I failed constantly for 20 years playing the game. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if, if you get in that sport, if you get caught up in your own failure, the great players have, an, have a short memory, what we were always told. Is yeah, you, yeah. you can't remember the time that you got struck out on three pitches last at bat because you got you got a new at bat and you got to make something happen now and great players are able to flip the switch and you know forget about their failures everyone else you know those failures stick with you and when you become identified identified by your failures that's when you know one strikeout turns into a streak of four games five games without a hit because you get in your own head and you start identifying yourself with that failure and you can't turn the page mentally and then you just one failure compounds itself onto another and to another and I think that we see that a lot in life too. I mean, you 
if, if you make a mistake or you, you screw something up at work and then you start to believe the lie that you are that failure, then that one mistake is going to turn into several more mistakes and it's just going to keep growing and growing. Yeah. Wait, so you're saying you're, you're not identified with your failure? No, you are not identified with So I'm not my failures? No, I mean, if you're in Christ, you're identified by Christ. Okay, okay, I was hearing that. He was just throwing it out there. It's kind of like, I mean, it was like digging a hole, but you just keep going downward spiral mentality inside of there. Yeah. I feel you. What about you, Bonnie? What's your response to that question? Um, I think for me, sitting in your failure is almost like acknowledging what happened. So whatever the situation is, is analyzing what happened to you that is causing you to fail and um, seeing more of the root cause of why it's even a failure in your head. Mm. Um. So like going back to waking up not on time, just really seeing like, well, why did I want to wake up on time? And just seeing your motives behind that um, and really understanding where the, that feeling is coming from more in a sense. So I think that's for me, that's how I sit in my failure of like, what did I do wrong? What could I do better? Um, but also not trying to move past it as quicker, quickly as possible. So it is trying to move past as quickly as possible? It's not. Not, Okay. In the big, and don't sit in it for a whole five or ten years, though. <laughs> miss my alarm. I'm still thinking about it ten years later. Yeah. Man, I'm just, I always miss my alarms. What a failure. <laughs> so Rose talking about downward spiral, like you become identified with that. I missed that hit because, like you said, the best in the world, best ever, what is it, like a .401 batting average? Yeah, ever. Ted Williams. Yeah, ever, right? Miss still struck out six out of ten times, mm. right? Man, that guy. Not necessarily struck out. He got out. Six, he got out. Didn't you, get a hit six out of ten. You're right, you're right, you're right. Sorry, clarification. Thank you on that. I'm, no not, I'm not the baseball player here. Sports. Neither am I. Sports. Uh, what are those? What are those? I do CrossFit. I do all the sports ever. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. So he's like, instead of identifying with those, he's saying, no, I identify with the hits. I just I look past those, right? It's going to happen. I'm identifying with the hits. That's how you move past it. But getting stuck in it is saying, oh, man, I missed that. I missed that. I missed that. I, I just, I can't. Can't seem to get on base ever. Mm -hmm. I'm just a loser in that, right? And Bonnie's saying, sitting in it is like, I'm gonna identify with it for a few minutes or a few moments here. We're gonna look at it. All right, why is this happening? What's going on there? How can I improve past this? How can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. More or less. Yeah. Mm. And, and to your point, Michael Jordan had a really good quote. It's a cliche. They put it on the back of T-shirts all the time, but it's like I've missed over X, Y, Z amount of shots in my 3, career. Three thousand shots. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's talking about how you always learn from his failure, and he was never identified by his failure. But there was one in in the documentary that came out in 2020, there was one quote that was really stuck out to me. And he said, why would I, he, he never got nervous. He just never, he was always good late in games. And he said, why would I think about a shot? Why would I be worried about missing a shot that I haven't taken yet? Mm. I just thought that was so cool. Mm. He just, it didn't even, the, the, his past failures didn't even come into his mind when he was about to hit a game winner. Mm. Mm. Just that never was, crossed his mind. That makes me think about, I mean, we're society anxious, right? And that's yeah. what anxiety is. It's thinking about that. What if I missed this shot? Right? What if I don't get this job? What if I lose my job? Right? Because I'm not performing well, and so we start thinking way too much about things and the potential for failures, even in that, and we're identifying with it. Oh, this isn't this, but it's like, no, that doesn't define you, right? Yeah. So, was a time in your guys' life, and I'll try to find one in mine, uh, when you failed, then you failed big, right? And you maybe had a problem or trouble not identifying with that failure. How much time you got? I just, I, <laughs> hey, if you got something good, let's go, bro. I mean, I have a bunch of them. It's just hard to pick. Uh, yeah, it goes back to baseball. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't throw a strike for the longest time, and I just couldn't get out of my headspace. In the grand scheme of things, nobody cared. It was Division Three baseball. None of our games were televised. So we have like Division One, Division Two, and then there's Division Three in the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Um, just clarifying for the audience. Yeah, just clarifying for the audience and but, for myself. Um, but I mean, it was never televised. No one cared. But for some reason, I would just. 
spiral and spiral. If I walked one guy, one walk would turn into three in a row and then I'd get pulled and then I'd be in my head for a week. And then the same thing would happen the next week and it would just go on and on and on. Um, and that was really difficult. And I, I'd, I would actually go to scripture for that to try and find a way in scripture to give me confidence on the mound. Mm. And I would kept thinking like, you know, there's gotta be something in this Bible that would help me have confidence <laughs> on the mound. And where you at God. And a lot of it, a lot of the promise in the Bible was i God never promised that I would have a good ERA or, or, you know, have a good career on the field. He promised that if we put our faith in him, that we would spend eternity in heaven. That was his promise. And then he also promised that life would be really difficult. And so, I mean, practically speaking, once I shifted my, and I stopped expecting perfection, I stopped expecting everything to go well for me. Things, you know, in in terms of that anxiety, things got a lot better because I, I no longer expected things to go well all the time. I expected things to go poorly, but it was okay because Jesus, you know, eventually he overtook the world and we're going to spend eternity with him one day. Amen. Um, I think for me, it's not necessarily a failure, but it's almost failure. identified oh. as a failure. Okay. Tell us more. <laughs> um, so more of like whenever I was in college, I didn't really know what to, what to do with my life. I didn't know what to study. I didn't know what I wanted to do for my you know, career. All I knew is I wanted to be a mom. And obviously you can't be a mom right when you start college. I mean, you can't. I'm not saying you can't, but, you know. It's hard. In my stage of life, I could not because I was not married. Um, but it was just really hard just to identify what I wanted to do and make sure I didn't take the wrong road. Um, and so through that, it almost felt like I because I didn't know it was a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mm-hmm. sat in it for a lot. I still sit in it sometimes of did I pick the right thing, did I not? Um, so I think that's, like, where my, like, I could, my, my biggest identity in failure is um, really where my career path and what degree I got and if that was the right thing, um, which sometimes it just feels like it's a failure. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot, of people, good. a lot of people have that, especially as young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, where am I going to go next? What am I doing with my life? Like, oh, I set this goal to be married by 30. Now I'm mm-hmm. 31, you know, or I want to have X, Y, and Z job, and I don't have that job, or I don't know where <laughs> I'm going with my life. And I would say a lot of the audience, you guys are probably struggling with that. I know that I have um, personally. Um, looking at that. That was a really good example there, Bonnie. So how do you get to a point where you're just willing to trust God with that and you say, okay, you know, I haven't, I haven't become a mom yet by the time I thought I would, but I'm just going to trust you with that. Like practically speaking, what does that, what did that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, still even today, it's more of like, it's really abiding with the Lord, which is spending time with the Lord every day um, and just reading about who he is and what he's calling me to be. Um, I felt like that was where my comfort was um, for most of those years in college and now still. Um, so that's really what, like, I've gravitated towards is really understanding um, where my identity falls and not in careers. So, like, currently right now I'm unemployed, and it's like now I'm back to it of did I make the right, wrong choice of my, like, uh, bachelor's degree? Um, and so because of that, it's more of, like, finding my identity back to Christ and knowing that I'm not identified by that. And at the end of the day, if I go back, to, back home to heaven, um, I'm not taking that with me. Um, so really just like, really, it's really working every day, every minute, every hour of, Hey, how can I focus myself back to the Lord and what he's calling me to be right now? And not like what I want to be or what the world is calling me to be. So the more you came to know about God's character and God's glory, the smaller that anxiety became. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't do very well in sitting in things. (laughs) So I don't think any of us do. (laughs) So yeah. So sitting in the anxiousness of not knowing really if anything, terrified me more. And because there's a bigger God that knows the bigger picture, that's where my comfort came from of like, well, if I can't even trust in myself, why am I sitting in this? Why not put it in somebody else that does now? Mm. 
I personally have two. I mean, there's lots of stories in my life, but the biggest ones like right now is when I set an expectation for myself, mm-hmm. um, either that day, the week, some sort of goal or whatnot, and miss that. Um, that's when I feel like a failure. And most of the time, like personally, as a, I'm a three on the Enneagram, an achiever or whatnot, it's like every area of my life. It's not like, man, you know what? I just want to be the best at one thing. It's like, how do you be the best at everything? That's just the mentality. And so then you, you can't be the best at everything. That's impossible. It's hard yeah. to be the best at even one thing. And so then I walk in there, I'm like, oh man, CrossFit, I failed this lift. And like, truthfully, I'm like, ah, oh, this is dumb. Go home now. You know, it's <laughs> mindset. Like, am I a failure? No, okay, let's go back. Let's try again. You know, three misses is okay. And then we're done. Um, or it may be at school and I'm like, man, there's just so many things going on. I can't finish homework assignment and I don't feel like I'm the best in this anymore or what's going on there. It's just a, a problem that I struggle with in my mentality is what are we focusing on? Is it actually glorifying God through the work, mm-hmm. right? Or the glorifying God through what we're doing? Or is it taking our identify in the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. right? And I think we have to remember that our identify, identity comes from God and not what we do or not the things that are going on in our life is rather just who we are mm-hmm. uh, because we're always going to miss the mark in one way or the other. Right, whether it be in relationships, whether it be at work, um, and just play or whatnot, we're always going to miss the mark in some way or another. And then it's like if we just kept, oh, I always miss the mark. I'm the worst. You know, <laughs> we would not have a very, uh, we'd have a hard life uh, in that. Um, there's another one too I was thinking about, but I can't remember right now. But uh, the fun story that I do have is when I was like, uh, what was I, four, 12, 13 years of age, did football for six years, like peewee football, mm-hmm. and we're in like the Super Bowl championship. And so my team has been undefeated for five years, and this is the fifth year of the Super Bowl. And this team we're playing is really good. We're going to overtime, um, and it's like double overtime, right? And we we score. They they had scored, and then we respond and we score. But then what happened was there was a holding penalty during mm-hmm. that score, and that holding penalty was on me. So then we take it back, and it took us back. Um, 10 yards or whatnot, and we did not end up scoring, right? So we lost the game and double overtime, and the holding penalty was on me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember in that night, in the shower, like crying my eyes out for like 45 minutes. It's like, I'm the reason we lost this game. It was my fault. I'm such a failure inside of that. Um, and it really took, like, my coach reached out the next day, and he just reminded me that it was not, like, even if I was holding, which he says there was another, um, the you know, the high school coach was watching from this end zone. He's like, he wasn't holding, you know, but holding penalties, are, holding penalties in football are like that. And he's just like, but it wasn't you playing the entire game. We had 11 guys in the field, which is, you know, 20-something guys in the team or whatnot, and you weren't the only one who got a penalty, right? You weren't the only one who messed up. Uh, we all make mistakes. We all do that, and we have to move on from that. So that was just really good encouragement to remember that we all make mistakes. We all do those things. Um, and it just happened that mine was in a more pivotal situation in that, right? Well, came back the next year. We did end up going undefeated again and won the Super Bowl. So we, we came back. We came back where it mattered. Story of redemption through that, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're basically the New England Patriots. Basically the New England Patriots, yeah. yeah. They, you know, five, six, five out of six years. They lose, they lose to Nick Foles, come back. Or did they win it the next year? Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. They just they've won a lot. Yeah. yeah, they won a lot. Yeah. Um, so, question: the next question we want to you guys is where do we see this idea of failure in the Bible, or identifying with failure, or moving through failure inside of the Word of God? Mm. I'm reading through Second Samuel right now, which is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I just got to the part where David uh, does something he's not supposed to do. He sleeps. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sinners. Yeah, he uh, sleeps with his best friend's wife, and then has the guy killed to cover it up. Uh, is that a failure? Uh, yeah, that's failure. Oh, okay. If you're the king of Israel, anointed by God, you should not be sleeping with your best friend's wife and then killing him. And cover <laughs> up. I'm going to take the unpopular position and say you should not be sleeping with your best friend's wife and killing him. I think, <laughs> yeah. Hot, hot take. Hot I'm, take. I, hey, I'm, I'm willing to take the unpopular stances on this podcast. But uh, the, the funny thing I think is in society right now, it might be like, you know, sleeping with your best friend's, friend's wife, that's okay. Now, killing the guy, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, the morals changed. Yeah, so so David, David does this thing and then 
Nathan comes to him, uh, the prophet Nathan, and calls and rebukes him. The title in the Bible, or the little heading in the Bible, says Nathan rebukes David. Second Samuel chapter twelve. So, <laughs> so David David's getting reamed out, and he knows what he did was wrong. He knows he screwed up, and he eventually gets kicked out, or his son Absalom launches a coup and kicks him out of power. Mm. I don't know what happens next because right now Abs- I'm in the part of Second Samuel where Absalom is, pow- Absalom is in power, so I don't know what happens next. But Absalom kicks him out of power. And so David is living in shame outside of his kingdom. And God tells him, as soon as he did that, he tells him, you are going to lose your kingdom because of this. You screwed up, and now you're going to pay the consequences. And so he does. He pays the consequences. But what's amazing is you fast forward about 1,000 years. Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament. He starts off by listing the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah. And this was important. If you're, if you're in a Christmas Eve service, I know that growing up Catholic, we had to read this every year on Christmas Eve. And it was boring because they're just reading a list of mostly unpronounceable names. Amen. So but hard. if you actually dig into it, it's kind of profound. And the reason why Matthew was doing this is because he was listing out Jesus's resume to the people who are going to read this gospel so that they knew that Jesus was legit because he was coming from the line of David. Mm-hmm. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Mm. So what does that mean? It means that the woman that David slept with and then had a, ki- had, had a guy killed to cover it up, that woman ended up being the great, 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 however many great grandmothers of Jesus. Mm. So even though David had this horrible mistake, he's not identified by that mistake. He's identified because he is the great, 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 however many great grandfather of Jesus. The Savior of the world came from through David's bloodline. Not only that, but he came through the bloodline of— David had, I don't know, four or five wives— Jesus could have been a descendant of any of those wives, but instead he was a dis- God chose your, uh, he chose Bathsheba to be the grandmother of Jesus, not any of the other wives, not Michal or any other wives that David had. It was yeah. Bathsheba, and I just think that's so powerful. That's crazy. I think it's also just so cool to see the perspective of like the Lord still used David um, even through his failing of like even so many years later. It's like you see it evidently of. Like, the Lord used this failure for his own glory. It's the same thing for us, like, through our failures. He's still going to use it, even if it's a, a small inch of it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, David sat in that. I don't know how long it was, but it took about six months or a year after he did it uh, before Nathan the prophet came. And I think probably six months after, what not, mm-hmm. after he killed Uriah and came to him and gave the story. And really, God sent him to convict David. So David sat in his failure for six months or whatnot. He really just pushed it aside. It was like, dude, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. No big deal, but he had failed before God, so God had to confront him on that. Um, and Nathan really convicts his heart, and I just absolutely didn't see that story. And so he repents immediately, um, and that's really what obedience and success is in God's eyes, is when you repent, right, and, and say, God, create that humble spirit, renew a right spirit within me, as David prays in Psalm 51 in response to this, and he moves in the right direction. But as you mentioned, there's still a consequence for sins. There's still a consequence of your failures before God. God mm-hmm. redeems us from those, but there's always going to be a consequence because of that. Um, for me, um, I've been reading in First and Second Kings, um, and it's just been really interesting to read about, uh, you know, all these kings and how much they sucked. Um, <laughs> what do you mean they sucked? Tell us more about that. If a lot of people haven't read First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles. Then, um, well, it's just like a. They just talk about like every single king that went into power and they don't go in full detail, but it's basically enough detail for you to know that. They weren't following the Lord, um, and they didn't listen to his instruction. And it took all of 1 King up to um, 2 King, which was chapter 10, 
um, verse 31, where you actually see the first king actually somewhat following the Lord um, and listening to him. But yet, like, once he dies, and he dies because one of his servants killed him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, obviously, he was not being very nice to them, probably, and that's probably why they went after him. Um, to be continued, I'm sure. First to be continued, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, like, the next couple of books, it's still the same thing of, oh, like, you didn't follow the Lord, so the Lord, like, and the Lord, it's not like he didn't give him direction of, hey, you should do this. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm listening to you, but I'm still going to do whatever I want. Um, and it's constantly, you see it at least in every chapter of, like, it's saying he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins. And so it's like, it's constantly, he did not do the right thing. He was turning towards evil and just seeing, like, all the failure that happened in these kings, and yet they still made it to the Bible. Um, but yet, like, we, um, I mean, I'm hopeful that in later in the books, we learn more about, like, how they failed and why they failed. Mm-hmm. But if not, it's still, like, interesting to see, like, the Lord needed us to hear the failures and seeing how he'll use them um, throughout, like, his story and his timeline. That's good. Can I make one more point? Yeah, go ahead, please. So um, going back to David... And he gets kicked out of power by his son Absalom after sleeping with Bathsheba, and yep. Bathsheba becomes the grandmother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Consequence. Second Samuel chapter sixteen. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, meaning he's fleeing Jerusalem because uh, his son's trying to kill him, kicked him out of power. David's now uh, in exile, so he's fleeing Jerusalem. When there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him, he had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skew of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, these donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who come exhausted to the desert. Why is that cool? Why is that cool? Tell me. When David leaves Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey. A thousand years later, Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem the weekend, or the week before he gets crucified. Mm. and he's riding in on a donkey. Mm. I just think that's so cool, that little connection there. Yeah. It's like here you have the guy that made the, one of the worst mistakes you can make, or the worst mistake you can make, <laughs> sleeping with your best friend's wife and then killing him. And then a thousand years later when Jesus comes in to rescue the whole world, that weekend he's going to ride in on a donkey, and everyone in the audience, or a lot of people in the audience, when they see that, they're going to draw a connection to King David. Yeah. I just mm. think that's so cool. Dang. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, good good connection. That's what the Bible does. You're in the old and new together and all these interwoven parts of Scripture. Yeah. You just got to see it come together. Yeah. Um, as Bonnie was talking there, I thought success and failure, like the Christian life flips the flow. That's what Jesus does too. Even um, as she talked about the kings there, they were a failure in God's eyes because they were not obedient to him. Mm-hmm. Right now, they've been, they might have been very successful to the people underneath them. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, yeah, this guy's setting up altars to Baal and Asherah, and he's repelling the enemies, and he's doing all this cool stuff, and I love the king. He's throwing these big parties. Maybe he's like the best king ever. But yet to God, he's saying, oh, God's saying to them, they were not obedient to me, and they have done what is wrong, and I detest them. Right, And so Jesus moves further. I think Jesus does that. The first should be last and last should be first. And the idea is like, we like, what, what's success look like? It means I got to be the best in the business and do this. And I got to push people out of the way. And it's all about me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, oh, actually, no, you actually are called to be last to not push people out of the way, to build others up and to serve those around you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we're supposed to identify with that, which is so hard. Like to be behind the scenes and not be number one, not be the successful guy everybody sees or the successful gal, whatever that looks like. He's like, no, I want you to be last. They're like, oh, God, are you sure? <laughs> He's like, 100%, 100%. It's also just harder when you think that you are much better at 
a position and you're like, put me there. I promise I'll do good. He's <laughs> like, no. Yeah, that person, they don't know what they're doing. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to take the person at the last part of the bench. Okay, God, you want to grow them. I see you. Uh, we look at Jesus, though. There's another story there in about failure that I see, and that's with Simon Peter mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Simon Peter, you know, the number one disciple, we'll call him that, Jesus' best friend. And, and Jesus says to him, right, um, he says, Simon, in Luke 22, 31, he says, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you all to sift you like wheat, not just to Simon, but to all the disciples. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, I pray that your faith may not fail. But yet as soon as Jesus goes, you know, is, is taken away and is on the way to be crucified and beaten and stuff, Peter's denying him three times. Mm-hmm. And you would say that his faith does fail, right? His faith does go away. Um, and he, he fails in that. And so Jesus is like, hey, I, I know actually that you're going to fail. I pray that it won't fail, but it's going to fail anyways. But when you do, turn back to me. Mm-hmm. And right, I think that just relieves a burden from me. It should relieve a burden from everyone else that God knows that we are going to fail. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus knows that we are going to make errors. We're going to make mistakes. But when we do, turn back to him. Mm-hmm. Right? And he comes to Simon Peter at the end of, of John. We see that where he says, you know, Simon goes back to his old way of life. At times us when we fail, like a uh, uh, negative mindset. Uh, I screwed up in sin. Maybe it's man. I slept around with somebody again. I committed fraud at work. You know, I cheated on X, Y, and Z. Man, I'm just such a failure in that. And Jesus says, no, own up to that. Confess it, right? Be cleansed from that mm-hmm. and come back to me. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't, I'm never going to get better from this. I'm just going to keep in my way of sin. And Simon Peter, not as being sinful, but his faith failing, goes back to being a fisherman. All right, Jesus is gone. He's not coming back. Pff, whatever. I'm out. I, I, I failed him. And then Jesus has to go to him specifically and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Each time saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, right? So he gives him this mission back. Simon Peter's like, I do love you, Lord. I'm on, I'm, on, I'm, I'm on that mission. And he's saying the same thing to us. Do you love me? And the answer is, yeah, you can say yes or no, right? I believe in John's gospel, the account of that story. So Peter denies Jesus three times. Then Jesus goes to meet him at the beach, whatever. And uh, Peter jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. And then Jesus is cooking breakfast for him. Yeah. And I think it's John's gospel that specifically says he was cooking fish on a charcoal fire, uh, which is an odd detail. But then you keep in mind that when Peter denied Jesus three times, he was outside of the temple courtyard and they were all sitting by a fire. And yeah. it was a middle school girl, that a middle school age girl that, <laughs> that made Peter freak out and deny Jesus three times. So Peter denies Jesus three times while sitting next to a fire. Three days later, Peter and Jesus are sitting next to a fire and he tells Jesus, I love you three times. And I just love that connection. It's like Jesus is making it very clear to Peter. I know what you did. I know you screwed me, yet I still love you anyway. And I'm still calling you and I'm still choosing you to be the first minister. You're going to build the church. Mm. I just think that's so cool. Mm. Upon this church, upon this rock, I will build my church, right? Yeah. So how do we, or how do you encourage the audience to respond to their failures, right? Because we're going to fail. We're going to screw up. How should we as Christians or non-Christians respond to our failures, depending on who's listening? I think you focus on the solutions. Like Babani said earlier, um, when you fail, there's always a lesson that can be learned, but you don't want to stew in that failure. You don't want to just sit in that failure. Mm. So I think you, you focus on the solutions, practically speaking, going back to baseball. I had a really good coach my last two years of college, and yeah. anytime I had a bad outing or I did something wrong, he never he never told me how much I sucked because he knew that I was my own worst critic, and he knew yeah. that he didn't have to tell me. Can I say sucked? Is that allowed? That's fine. Okay, yeah. Um, but anyway, he never told me how, much, how terrible I was because he knew I was telling that to myself. What he would always do is focus on the solutions. It's like, okay, you know, your back hip, it wasn't really coming all the way around. You know, 
your, mm. your arm action wasn't great. Maybe we can try this warm up. Maybe we can do this drill and then next week we'll be better. Yeah. And, and he knew that was what was best for me. You could just focus on specific solutions. And I think in life, whenever we fail, whether it be sin, failures, you know, sin struggles, you can't get out of failures at work, whatever they may be. We always focus on the solution. Don't pretend the failure didn't happen. Acknowledge it happened. Then focus on the solutions. Yeah. I think you could sit in it for five minutes, you know, sit yeah. in that and then, okay, what did I do wrong? How do I move past this? Who do I need to confess this to? And how can I become more like Christ yeah. in that? In the same way with like, if you do something great, you have a success, sit in it for five minutes too, right? It's not a, man, look at the success from 20 years ago or what I did last week. It's man, okay, five, five minutes, success, sit on it. All right, now what more can I do to glorify God? I think it's also just important for you to like, yes, finding solutions and then as well as bringing somebody into your mm, problem. Yeah, that's good. Um, a lot of times I feel like we don't want anybody to come in because we, we know it's a failure and we don't want anybody to see our failures. Um, but through that, we also just learn the outside perspective of, hey, you're just being silly. And you need to move out of it. You need to get out of your head. Um, but it's we see that constantly, like throughout the Bible, of there's always somebody there. Um, and the person that came to my mind was in Second Timothy. Paul is tel- telling um, Timothy that there's this guy. I can't even say his name. Is Onesiphorus or? Yeah, I think it's Anissa Okay. Well, that guy. Um, he, kid like, name, but Kid name? What do you think? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, so this guy, um, they just describe how, like, his character and how he helped Paul um, in refreshing his soul. And, like, that's, like, the ultimate example of what we should follow. Obviously, mm. Jesus is the example. But, like, this is a human, like, that they saw and they looked at. And they saw that he refreshed Paul. He wasn't ashamed of what he did. Um, and then on top of that, he also like diligently searched him and found him every single time to help him and do this whole entire process again. Um, so it's the importance of community around you and just being willing to just tell them what's happening um, and knowing that whatever they say is coming from a good heart and they're not attacking you. And it's the heart, like, yeah, it's easier said than done, but it's also just keeping it in mind of, these people are trying to help me and push me forward through my failure um, and just seeing what my next steps are and how I can a- attack it next time. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, and poor Paul. Right before that, he's saying, everyone in the province of Asia abandoned me. Like, I got in prison, they're like, disowned me. And these two guys specifically, ah, but Nisiphorus, dude, he stood by me, mm-hmm. right? That's my that's my boy. That's my best friend, right? It's so make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who are going to stand by you and your failures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one thing that, that David did not have necessarily is someone to stand by him. Like, Jonathan passed away, right? Mm-hmm. If David had had Jonathan there, probably would have confessed a lot quicker. may not even happen to him because of that, right? Because your friends, your besties, who you let in, are going to be there before the failure. They're going to encourage and challenge you, and they're going to be there after that. Mm-hmm. So good. I don't know if I can add anything to that. That was great. <laughs> I was going to have one thing. I think I only got one more point, but that's uh, in Proverbs twenty four sixteen. I just love this verse, which says, although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets up again. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have that. I have that verse on a picture of Avengers uh, in game. Last, last word. It's Captain America versus the entire army of Thanos. Right. And it's, he just, and he's such a good scene. It's such, such a, a good such scene. This epic scene where his, you know, Captain America's shield is half broken. He's been beat down. He's like the last one there, and he gets up again, right? And that's just the image of what a righteous man or woman does. It's, man, I've been beat down. I've been broken. I failed again. It's, it feels like I'm going to be defeated, right? But I'm going to give up again no matter what. Like, it's going to happen. I'm going to be defeated. Um, and, he, and he does, right? And that's what we're called to do. When I watched that in theaters, when he picked up the hammer, 
cheers. People cheered when he picked up the hammer. Oh, 100%. Everyone was so excited about the scene, right? But then we see, like, he obviously doesn't know what's going to happen next, right? But then you see this entire army of, you know, say, the good guys, the Avengers come through at the last moment to help him. But that's what we have. Sometimes we don't see the army of God behind us or the fact that, like, have that vision towards the future. Like, man, Jesus already won. We already know where we're going. We already have this eternal perspective. Let's go towards that, right? Let's focus on that instead of this immediate failure, this immediate success in front of us. That's good. Yeah, watch Avengers Endgame if you haven't. It's epic. It's so good. So well, good. you got to watch the 21 movies before. Oh, yeah, really you watch all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I think gosh. we're on, like, movie, like, 12 right now of Bonnie and I. Don't hop, in on, don't hop in on Endgame without watching <laughs> it. You're just not, it's not going to make any sense. Do it. I yeah. dare you. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, any uh, final closing thoughts, guys, on identity and failures and failures? Uh, this is a cheesy, non-biblical quote, but <laughs> failure is never final. Success, or success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Mm. Winston Churchill. Yeah, Winston Churchill as well. That quote where he talks about it's not the it's the man in the arena who gets in there, who's boxing and throws around. That's the man who counts, not the critic outside of it, right? So stop looking to the to the critic outside of that and say, man, I got in the arena. I fought. I'm getting back up every single time. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, but yeah. It was Teddy Roosevelt. You're right. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, wrong yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's um, it comes from Colossians 3.23. Whatever mm. you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people. So just remembering that, like, your identity is not found in what you fail and what you succeed. It's really in um, how you're honoring the Lord every single day. And if you're not honoring him, what are you doing? <laughs> mm. The question is, what would Jesus have me do with this failure? Mm. Think about that next time you fail. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, stay classy, and I'm excited for next week. This, is so, this was so much fun, Just being in here with the Templetons. This Ooh. was so much fun. Ah, thanks, bro. We appreciate that. Hasta pronto. Time. Ciao, bello. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.